Hey everybody and welcome to the Born Hunting Podcast where it's all hunting all the time. I'm your host Jace Bosherman. Today I am joined by one of my very best friends on planet earth and the introduction I'm going to give him, uh, <laughs> I hope nobody takes it lightly because he is one of the best whitetail minds there is. Um, I've told people before he's the best whitetail hunter you've never heard of and by saying that, that's not a derogatory thing because what I'm trying to let everybody know is you should know about this guy. His name's Taren Bauer. He is the Whitetail Yoda. Uh, you can't steal that name, by the way. I gave it to him. So all you Whitetail guys out there, that one's taken. Uh, this is the Whitetail Yoda. He's my Whitetail guy. He's one of my very best friends. Taren, thanks for taking the time to be on, bud. Yeah, not a problem, man. I'm looking forward to it. Anytime we can sit down and talk now. Something everybody should know, <laughs> it's it's kind of odd, is it being a new podcast host, um, I talk to Taryn usually every day. That's usually something that just at some point during the day our, our paths um, tend to cross um, on the phone. So I, I spend a lot of time with him, but uh, want him today to share some knowledge. So what we're thinking of right now is, you know, whitetail season's over. Um, hope everybody had some great success and whitetail season's over and a lot of you guys are thinking about turkey and things like that but there's some really critical things that you can do habitat wise management wise that should start shortly after deer season concludes and Taryn's a master at that he has taken his dad's property and turned it into just a kingpin of a property um, I've been blessed to hunt it for for a few years now and I just absolutely love going there but Taryn, let's let's start off talking a little bit about that. You know, guys are just coming off of a long season. Uh, it was a grind. You know, they're thinking about turkeys. Deer's really probably the last thing on their mind, but it probably shouldn't be, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And that's the crazy thing about me is um, I'm season's over, and the following day it's still whitetails. Like there's there's no break. Um, I'm. I'm focused on whitetails 365 days a year. I will take a little time off, try to kill a couple turkeys, but even then, um, I'll get done with the morning turkey hunting. It'll be, let's go run, do something deer. And, and it is, you know, starting, starting in January or February, you know, whenever your season ends, um, it's, it's basically time to get, to get started on that, uh, that habitat work. And, and I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of shifting back to, October and November sits when when we're thinking of of that habitat work. Um, as I'm sitting there, you know, the rut's in full swing. I've got deer moving through. Um, obviously, I'm focused on trying to get that buck killed. But I'm in the back of my mind. I'm making notes during during every one of those sits. Um, you know, the, those all day grind sits are. Uh, they're tough and I spend some time, uh, making notes, you know, you've got, you've got some downtime. And so I'm, I'm thinking like last year, I'm, I'm sitting in one of my better spots. Um, I've got a big hinge cut bedding area and then a transition area with a, with a travel corridor in between another hinge cut area. So I'm, I'm basically sitting in between doe bedding areas and every sit there, I kept having this group of does try to go downwind of me as they're as they're coming off of food going back in there and so i'm sitting there logging that you know after the first day i'm like oh you know no big deal you know it's weird they didn't take the corridor but you know after two or three times of of you know that happening i'm sitting there 
picking out trees and marking trees in my in my you know my mental notes and then i'm also writing it down you know with with my phone i've got a, a notes app and so i'm sitting there going you know we need to drop these trees um we need to manipulate that movement and so a lot of that a lot of those chores in january and february are stemming back from those hunts in october and november of what you you know what you're learning and i think it's important for for guys to uh you know don't just go hunt you know try to learn something from each and every one of those hunts to develop that ground for for years to come and uh that's an important that's an important thing i think yeah i couldn't agree more and and for for all of you that uh don't know taryn when he says he has a note section on his phone that's uh, that he uses um there are full articles inside of that thing there is his life memoirs as a right whitetail hunter in there he uses that thing constantly he comes up with these ridiculous lists and he texts them to me and i look at them and i'm going dude there's no way between now and next fall you're going to get all that done <laughs> you do you know it but he kills himself yep. trying to get it done i mean he literally um, is very motivated by this species and, and, and it's a motivation that has paid off big for him. Um, and, and he's just now getting to the point where he's seeing the full benefits of his labor. Um, for years, he would just, he would pass these deer and he would send me pictures and pictures. And this is before I understood anything about growing deer or aging deer or management or anything like that. So I was just like, dude, you're stupid. You're an idiot. I, it would drive me crazy. He knows I'd almost get mad. I'd be pissed. I'm like, I'd kill to shoot a deer like that. And he's like, dude, yeah. I can shoot a deer like that anytime. I want to shoot him when he's one more year, one more year. And he is a one more year guy. If there is a guy that I think Taryn truly enjoys this, what we're talking about right now, the habitat section, more than he actually does hunting, just because he loves deer that much and he loves seeing what you do, you know, pay off big. Um, and, and, and you've seen that. So, you know, you're sitting there and you're talking about, you know, taking notes and, and these different things. And, and so what are some some things some guys can do, you know? And, and, and people listening to this, I hope you understand, don't think, Taryn does not own Mark Drury property. Okay, he does not own Lakoski property. He does not own limitless acres of dirt. Um, I hunt about 119 acres here in Colorado and very little of that is actually timbered. His advice is the only thing that I've been able to implement into my small parcel. So what he's going to share, don't turn your nose up at it as something like, oh, well, I don't have the machinery and I don't have the farm and it must be nice. You can have, my, my property is extremely small and I don't own my property. It is a property I lease and am able to work with the landowners. There's all kinds of options out there. So really clue into that because some of the things he's going to tell you, they've changed how I hunt whitetails. They changed my success rate. Um, but Taryn, what are, what are some early things guys can do that go, man, I just, I think I have something going here. I want to make it just a little bit better next year. What are some, you know, February, March type habitat things that could start going on? Yeah. And, and some of that is, you know, manipulating travel a little bit. Anybody, you know, anybody can man Ooh, manipulate I'm gonna interrupt travel. You. I won't interrupt most guests. I'm going to interrupt Taryn because I love him. When you say manipulate, <laughs> because this one's changed how I hunt and you know that. And I always give yep. cre Taryn mad props for this because this has changed how I hunt. Um, and it's changed my success rates. But when you say manipulate travel, some people, you know, you don't have to give the the full Yoda Terran version, but kind of break that down into what you mean by manipulating travel. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of it is just making the path of least resistance. Um, 
you know, forcing that, forcing the deer coming out of a bedding area to hop on that trail. Um, you know, you can use, you can use snow fence. Um, you can just, I mean, simply you can use a weed eater. Um, just easy things. Um, just making those, making those trails visible and easy. Um, the other thing I do a lot of times, and even if it's just a small tree, I'll, I'll drop some trees just to push that travel to exactly where I want it. And so much of that is, is important too, especially when you're talking archery, you know, you're, you're looking at a game of inches and you've got to have, you know, you've got to have everything go right. And you've got to put those deer where you, you know, where you can get, you can get shots at them. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys that are like, man, I, I just, uh, you know, I saw a good buck this morning. He didn't, he didn't come through where I wanted him to. And what's wild about a lot of my setups now is if I see a buck and, and I've got a buck up on his feet, he's coming by my stand. Like he, he doesn't have a choice. Um, they're so, they're so precise in, in how, uh, and how they're set up that deer are basically forced to come through in bow range. And, you know, there, there are times where, you know, we'll go through and like I was saying, you know, I'll be sitting in a tree stand and, and then, you know, maybe it's the first year set. And so you're going to, you know, you're going to learn stuff. And that's like I was saying before is I learned that, okay, I've got to manipulate movement because I can't have deer getting downwind of me. So this, this last, it was probably January, February. I don't remember the, exactly the dates, but we went and pushed everything, you know, down and forced deer out and so far seeing the trails and everything and my picture numbers on that camera right there have went up so i feel like i feel like that's done a great job but and that's stuff that you've got to go through um there's another stand on the north side of the river you maybe you maybe remember me talking about it a little bit i do i do we uh we've had a couple spots where um you know we're trying to block travel and the first couple sits in you're like dang it you know they found a way through and and i'm not you know if it's october and they're doing it i'm not afraid to go in there with a handsaw and and drop another tree or drag you know drag some brush over but when it gets to the rut and stuff you kind of just have to like you know kind of grit your teeth and go well it is what it is at that point you're gonna do more harm than good yeah if you deer are gonna get through um, you know then you kind of got to rely on some scent control and stuff like that but yeah, that's, that's the important part is, is just, uh, you know, getting those deer to walk where you can get a shot at them and not just, well, I, you know, I was hunting here and a deer went by at 80 yards. Um, and it's going to happen too, but you know, there are a lot of things a guy can do to, to get rid of that and, and to really neck those deer down. Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things I did when I started manipulating travel, you heard Taryn say weed eater and, and, and he knows because he knows all that I've gone through for the last few years trying to get my property. I, I didn't have access to a tractor or to a brush hog or to a mower or anything like that. So, you know, Taryn told me it's going to suck, but take a weed eater. And so what I did the first year is like I literally looked at my hunt property from an aerial image. You know, I was using hunt stand, sitting there looking at my property and then you know known primary bedding areas where the food is and where I wanted to position my stand and just took a weed eater and cleared any stick I cleared sticks I just weed eated paths through very thick cover and it took a long time but even that year 
I had, I mean, they take over those trails. It's, it's amazing. And I think uh-huh. to some of it is a, is a visual thing. They're walking through and they're like, ooh, that's a lot better over there. Like you mentioned the, the you know, the visual part of, part of it. And, you know, it goes as far as this is very simple stuff. I mean, taking a weed eater and mowing it through grass, anybody can do that. Moving sticks, anybody can do that. Everybody can take a chainsaw or a handsaw and drop some trees. Um, to manipulate travel to where deer can no longer use travel because you don't want them going that way. So mm-hmm. that's that's I mean that's something I've done. Now I have, you know, access to a tractor that I can use and I mow my paths and that's made a huge difference, but it's anything that you can do because your neighbor might not be doing that and you are. So right then your place just becomes it might only be 5% more appealing to that buck. But it's still 5%. I mean, I kind of look at things that way, you know? Yep. Yep. And and the other thing that, that you are very familiar with, because we have a stand that you like to sit in a lot called the fence gap, you know? And that's that's obvious. That's a, that's a fence oh. and that's an, that's an open gate. And, you know, some people don't, you know, some people don't necessarily realize, you know, the, the simple thing is, you know, opening a gate yep. or doing, you know, anything down down that line can make a drastic change well that's that's all we use there i mean that's the draw mm-hmm. where we sit i mean the draw is there's a creek bottom taryn of course has put in uh, a rubbing post and we're gonna we're definitely going to talk about that but hang hang out for a second on that um but that's the attraction these deer can just cut a corner they can basically cut off an inside corner of this creek avoid a bunch of big thick timber and they can just cut the edge off they don't have to really give anything up either you know they're not giving up a whole lot of visibility and they can cut an inside corner and then boom it's an open gate and then they're gone but that stand is situated to take advantage of that one feature yep and You've killed a couple deer there. That's a great deer. <laughs> I have had some good luck sitting in the fence gap and some great oh, no sits jail. No sitting doubt. it. Something else I want to talk about, and this this one this one blew my mind. And I'm, I'm and when I first heard it, I was like, Taryn, you've gone off the deep end. This is too overboard." But we were. I don't even. I don't even know where you're going with this one. <laughs> well, I'm going. So we were looking. We we, we I went to turkey hunt because I, I I turkey hunt Terrans every year. But which usually ends up, I do know where you're going. Which usually ends up being, hey, let's hunt turkeys, but do you want to do some deer stuff? That's Taryn's mind. My mindset is, no, I want to hunt turkeys all day. He's like, if we do deer stuff, it'll really pay off. And so he (laughs) takes me over to this spot called the Fence Gap, and we're kind of, I had never really explored the territory beyond it. And, you know, we're walking down this creek, and Taryn's like, see that rise right up there? And I was like, yeah. He's like, there's going to be a buck bed on that. And I'm like, how do you know there's going to be a buck bed on that? He's like, guarantee you there's a buck bed on it he's got an entrance got an exit it's on a you know it's a rise in the train they look for that walk up there and it's full of be- white belly hair a tree's rubbed right by it i mean you can distinguishly distinguishably see where this buck had bedded and, he, and you, you look at me and he's like he looks at me told you and i'm like son of a gun so now i'm all excited i'm like well we should make some of these and he's like yeah, dude, I have them all over dad's farm. And then so Taryn takes me and shows me these purp- purposefully placed buck beds. He created bedding for bucks. And no, a buck's not in it every day. But when you go to each of these, bucks bed in them. He found a monster shed this year. I mean, he FaceTime is right by one of these buck beds. So I started doing that because, again, I can do that, right? It's not planting food. All I needed was a saw and a shovel. And... I found some terrain here, which is mostly flat. I don't have the rolling stuff like he does, but I found some knobs and hills, and boom, I went in in February this year. 
made me three buck beds. Guess what every one of them have already? A buck has laid in them. I have pictures <laughs> to prove it, and I have white belly hair there already. Um, so it's like, oh yeah. my gosh. It, it just clicked. It was like, this sounds so far-fetched. Like, But now I've got travel, but now I'm giving a deer, a buck that I may want to kill, an opportunity. I'm giving him, I'm creating a hotel room for him that says, don't bet over here on the neighbors. My spot's nice and comfy. I got a nice log you can lean against. It's soft. I've cut your escape routes. You use those a lot. Talk about buck beds, but then go ahead and talk about into the work you put into other bedding too, because you're a master at that. Yeah, for sure. And I've been I've been lucky to be around hinge cuts for, I think this is like 12 years that I've had hinge cuts on my property. Um, I was kind of introduced to them uh, through my cousin Corey, and uh, he was having success with them, and and we started playing around with them down there on my dad's farm, and yeah, it. Um, it boils down to, you know, kind of time of year too. Um, I've got some, some buck beds that are better in the summer and some buck beds that are better, you know, in the fall. And I, I'm kind of that believer that summer pictures and, you know, summer bedding doesn't necessarily matter. So I've shifted, you know, more of my bedding to, to fall type stuff, to the thicker, you know, nasty, nasty type timber. Um, but where I'm at with, with a lot of cedar trees and stuff and guys are like, Oh man, that's a cedar farm. You know, it, it ought to be awesome, you know, in the winter. And it's actually, it's actually opposite. Um, I've got one cedar farm that you were lucky enough to kill a, kill an absolute stud off of, but, um, you know, that's a good, that's a good summer farm. So I've basically went in and it's got some topography, it's got some points and out at the edge of each of those points, I'll go in and, you know, like the bottom of the cedar is, you know, just say that it's a pizza. And what I'm doing is taking a slice out of that pizza, whether it be with a handsaw, chainsaw, you know, whatever. So I'm taking a slice or two out of that. So that buck can get himself in there. He's in the shade and cedars, cedars are actually, to me, they're better in the summer. So then I kind of correlate my food and stuff with that, but we can talk about that that later but so i'm i'm focusing on the cedar farms and stuff as more more of an early season than a late season farm so i'm i'm putting buck beds on each of those points and like you you touched on this you know it's very important to to not let those bucks feel trapped you know they've got to have an entrance and an exit because i mean that's just you know well i only touched on it because you taught me it (laughs) yeah i mean they're in survival mode all the time so you know if you go in and you know try to make a you know what we'll call a buck bed just because of you know location of it um you you have to make sure they can get in and out if if they feel you know if they feel like they can't get in and out they're not going to use it so that that is very very important that's probably one of the one of the number one things to make that buck bed successful um and People will tell you, you know, oh, don't worry about putting a log in there. And when it's in the timber, I don't use the logs as much as like if it's in native grass or something like that, I'll put some some type of structure out there. But um, I'll go ahead and I'll take a, I've got a small little little shovel that I carry with me and I, I smooth that out and uh, and give them a nice place to lay. And like you were saying, you know, they've they've taken them over 
everywhere, but, but I focus, you know, a lot of, a lot of my areas, I try to transition more to that, to that fall cover. And so then you're talking about, um, you know, a lot of strategy goes into it of location. Um, a lot of times your does are bedded out closer to your food. So I'm trying to get cover out as close to my food as I can so I can stack does in there. And then behind there is where I'm, you know, making my buck beds per se. Um, I, I used to say, okay, this is a buck bed and this is a doe bed. But anymore, I, I don't necessarily st- strategically say, you know, okay, that's a buck bed and this is a doe bed. It's just kind of all based on on where I'm located sure, at. Sure. Um, so, I mean, when it, when it comes down to it, it's kind of all of the, all of the same things. Um, you're talking about hinge cuts and, and, and dropping trees and creating, creating side cover. Deer love that side cover. Um, and talk about that a little bit when you say side cover and then also Taryn explain, you know, when you say hinge cuts, a lot of people listening to this are going to go, oh yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. I know exactly how to do it. I do it. But what about somebody that has sitting here going, man, what, I mean, can I do a hinge cut? Because that was me. I mean, I just, I, I want to throw myself under the bus as much as possible. I was a Western hunter that has become a whitetail fanatic and still has a lot to learn. But uh-huh. Taryn had to explain, like, I'd be like, dude, I keep hearing you say hinge cuts. And I think I know what you mean, but explain it and you did. So, so just kind of explain hinge cuts, what you mean by what you're doing with hinge cutting. And then, cause this was the first year I put them in. So I'm excited to see the results of that, but also the side cover. So, so people can, can relate to that. Yeah. And a lot of that is, um, is height too. You know, some people you'll see, you'll see on social media, you know, guys like, Oh, I made a hinge cut. He cut it like head high. And it's like, you know, what in the what in the world were you doing, you know, having it clear up there? You know, the important part is, is deer like to bed up against something. So it's important to do those hinge cuts at like waist high. So, so they're not just bedded clear out on the end of it. So they have side cover all the way across. And basically that hinge cut is, is coming at, coming in at an angle and cutting, you know, three fourths of the way through the tree. And then I use, I use a, a pole, um, and then pull the tree down. So it stays alive. The, the worst thing you can have happen is have it snap off. Um, then the tree dies right away. Well, if you can keep that tree alive, you're adding browse right there in that bed. So it's important to, to keep those hinge cuts fairly low and try to keep that tree alive as, you know, as much as you can. Obviously sometimes it just, you know, the trees, half dead already or something like that and they break off and you you can't control that that's that's just going to happen but then you're going to have you know stump sprouts and stuff like that too which is a good thing because you're you're adding browse but if you can keep that tree alive you're you're just sitting way better off so yeah like i said it's important to keep that keep those hinge cuts right around that waist high so deer feel comfortable and they don't have to bed clear out on the ends of them they can bed up closer to you know like the stump and like I said, it's it's very important to have food back in the bedding areas. Um, without, you know, a bedding area without food is not even, you know, it's not half as good as a bedding area that's that's packed with food. Um, you know, a deer wants to get up two or three, four times a day and feed, and if they've got to if they've got to leave, you know, their their bedroom to go 
to go find food, they're, they're going to go to the neighbors or they're going to go to a place, you know, that, that has it. So that's a, that's another important part is, is making sure there's food, which, you know, you're, you're looking at all woody brows when you're talking, you know, hinge cuts and stuff like that. But then, you know, you're opening the, the canopy up to sunlight. So you're going to get some weeds and stuff like that too. And that's all very important. That's perfect, dude. You couldn't, couldn't have described it any better. Um, so, you know, the thing that I want to point out to where we are right now is everything that Taryn's mentioned, if you notice, it, it requires m tools that you have access to. I mean, that mm -hmm. was the big striking feature for me when you started teaching me this stuff. Because, I mean, right away you hear whitetail habitat and everybody thinks food. And while food's important, and we're going to touch on food a little bit, I, Taryn knows, like, I live in a location where I don't grow, I can't grow uh, perennial plots, forget about it, they're out. Annual plots, maybe this year, we'll see, planting fall plot, but trying to get one, it's just, so all these things are essential because anybody can do these types of things on their property. Um, which brings me to one more I want to talk about before we shift gears a little bit because it does have to do with some bedding um, to a degree, but it's also just insane cover and it's something anybody can do. But you have done, I've watched a place on Terrans, um, several places, but one place that I hunt in particular that um, I'll just call it my farm. I like to call it my farm. It's not my farm, but I like to call it that. <laughs> Dude, as much as, as much as my dad likes you, it, it, it he calls it my farm. It, his calls his dad calls it my farm. So I'm like Taryn, you. Yeah. Um, but what Taryn's done on uh, not just that farm, but in all farms, it made a big difference for me on a buck. I'm a, I'm convinced that it made the difference on the buck that I killed there, that 148 inch buck I killed there a couple of years ago. And Taryn has gone on, gone in. And he's sprayed the brome, the brome grasses, and allowed the native grasses to come up. And when I first started hunting in there, he just didn't have the time to get it done, and because he was doing so much other work, and it was just solid brome. And now you go in there, and we're talking native grass up to my chest. Um, he's got several other places on his on his farm that look this way, but this I've seen. I'm convinced my buck stood up with a doe out of that. I believe he was in the native or just up in the cedars. But um, talk a little bit about what you're doing with that native grass stuff, man, because it's it's just crazy how well it works. Oh, for sure, and, and it does. Um, it's it's just very important to get rid of cool season grasses, which are your bromes. And in Nebraska, we were loaded with brome. Uh, we used to have a, a pile of sheep on our place and they grazed it. And so it, you know, kind of forced the brome to take off. and uh, so I've dealt with that and I'm going to be dealing with it for, for years just because it's, it's, it's hard to kill, but I'll go in and, you know, sometimes we'll run a fire through it and, and I will, uh, you know, when it starts to green up, I'll start hitting it with Roundup and it's just crazy what, you know, what's actually in the seed bank and in that farm, you know, your farm, we'll call it again. Um, Indeed. You could tell on you know, on some of the fringes and stuff, you could see some switchgrass and Indian grass and um, some big blue stem and little blue stem. And so it's like, you know that that seed is right there in the seed bank. It's just being suppressed by brome. And brome, brome does absolutely no good come fall. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get you get a snow and, and it's it's laid down flat. Um, there's no there's no value in it because it, it suppresses everything. And so by going in there and, and hitting those areas with Roundup, 
you're just turning that into, you know, like what I was saying, bedding areas with browse. You know, you've got pigweed and smartweed, pig, you know, mare's tail, all sorts of different weeds that are that are great browse, high nutrition values, and uh, and then you've got bedding structure with the native grass, and with that being suppressed by the brome, um, you know, you're you're just killing those farms. Um, you know, I would say, and you, you know, you've, you've got access to the cameras. Um, since I've, since I've went in and worked on that farm, you know, have the picture numbers doubled probably. Um, at least doubled. Like to me. At least yeah. doubled. And, and what Taryn's saying too, something I want to point out on the year that I killed, um, I'm sitting here staring at him on my wall right now. Um, the year I killed this buck in there, um, you know, going back to, because I want to keep going back to food because everybody, anytime anybody asks me a whitetail question or I read an article or I read this, how to improve your property, I'll usually read about food or someone asks me about food. And I know you get a lot of questions about food. But this yeah. particular year that I killed this buck in this particular farm, Taryn would not even let me photograph the food plot because it was so bad. They droughted out terrible. Then I think we had army worms or something crazy happened. Army worms it just terrible, was horrible. Yeah. They desecrated this plot. Taryn wouldn't even let me photograph it because he's like, dude, it's not making no difference. So why was I able to go in there and kill 148 inch, very mature, four and a half year old buck? Um, you know, was it by happen chance? And the answer to that is no, is my was my second sit in there. It was because of all the other things. And what were those things? Mode travel. We we had created travel. When I say we, I mean Taryn. Um, Taryn had created travel. We positioned our stands well. Um, I was there for that. Um, we had all access, these other access. things. Access yeah. was access critical. Couldn't be any better. On that couldn't be any better. Yeah. Then we had our brome. We had blocked some travel, dropped lots of trees. We created some hinge cuts. All the things that Taryn's talking about went in there, no food, boom, kill a, kill a massive buck. And, and he, could, he came and read the script. So you don't have to have food as far as food you grow yourself, like a food plot to implement whitetail strategies. So don't, don't turn yourself off to like limit yourself and go, well, I, I can't grow food. I can't grow food either. But I do all of these other things and the difference it's made is monumental. And he's talking about with the native grass, I mean, what do you say? I mean, you guys hear him. I mean, he's talking about spraying weed killer or making a burn and getting rid of the crap grass and letting the good grass come up. Anybody can do that. Yep. Anybody can do that. Yeah. But you and said you can, something. I mean, Go you ahead. Can do that with a, yeah, you can do that with a one gallon, you know, a couple one gallon sprayers walk around and, you know, what you want to have as, you know, as a bedding area and and fix that i mean it's not it's not hard it really isn't right absolutely and so talk a little bit to um t about um you, you said it when i was talking because that is one of the key elements to that farm that i spend a lot of time hunting is i would have to do something extremely stupid to get busted entering and exiting my stand i mean it would have to be just bad bad luck a deer would basically have to be standing in an opening, mm -hmm. it, it just, the access is yeah. so critical and it's so crucial. But but I think a lot of times guys have a good thing going, and they have a buck that they're hunting, and they get everything right, and the wind and everything may be right. But their access tips, I, I I believe I know this was happening to me because we've talked about it before. 
trying to get into a certain spot and I'm like, dude, I get the pictures and then I get in there and nothing. And you're like, dude, you're tipping your hand going in. They're not even mm-hmm. there anymore by the time you get in your stand. So talk a little bit about yeah. the importance of entrance and exit too and creating oh, access. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It, it really is. Um, I can remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, sitting on a food plot and, and going, man, the deer, you know, the deer all piled out at this end that night. So the following night, if the wind was correct, you know, I'm going to go down here and I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a doe that walks out and it's going to be awesome. And you go there that next night thinking, you know, all they got to do is, is come out, you know, where they did last night. And all of a sudden they're coming out back on that other end where you were at the night before and you're going, what in the world, you know, what's changed? And well, what's happening is, you know, as you're walking in, you're bumping deer and, and those does, they're not going to just, they're not going to blow out of the country. You know, they're going to run hundred yards, 150 yards, whatever, calm back down. And, you know, as you sit in your stand for a couple hours, you know, they're going to start to slowly move their way back, but they know that, you know, okay, we're not, we're not going where, where we just saw that danger, but we're still going to come out. And you see that a lot. And I've had a lot of guys tell me, yeah, oh, tonight should be a slam dunk. And man, every, everything piled out, you know, that other way. And then you start adding, you know, screens and, and it's, it's hugely important. Um, I've got, I've got some screening project, some screening products, you know, like Egyptian wheat and stuff like that, that I use around my food plots, around my blinds. And you have to hide those entrances and exits. And, what works so dang good for you on that one stand where you killed that buck was, was a crick. And, you know, so many people might just be like, I'll just walk beside the crick. I don't want to, you know, I don't have to get down in the crick and then try to get back up the bank. Oh, you need to, I mean, it's as simple as that. If you can hide yourself, it's, it's just huge. And, and, uh, and, you know, basically you hop in the crick at the road and walk, walk it all the way to your stand and then you're hidden by the cedar tree and then you're you're you know, in you take two steps you know up out of there yeah. and and you're climbing that tree and that's just that is so important and people you know they're like oh deer get bumped all the time <laughs> you know they're used to it yeah it's like but for those nights you know you you just can't do that and, and that's another thing um you know i use I'm lucky enough to, you know, a lot of times have somebody at the farm or around the farm and, you know, I can text, I can text Trevor and say, Hey, um, you know, dude, I'm in, I'm in this stand when it gets dark, you know, drive all the way to the base of my stand basically with the players. So glad you mentioned that. It's very important. and, And pick me up. And, um, you know, if, if it's in a place where, you know, deer aren't used to four wheelers and stuff, but like in, in ag country where, I mean, they, they hear our four wheeler every day. My dad's irrigating and they've associated that with, you know, no danger. So I'm, I'm using that a bunch. Um, if you're in a, you know, a thicker wooded area where there's not, you know, four wheelers and stuff and a lot of human intrusion, I will, uh, I'll keep a coyote howl in my pack. Um, you know, deer are extremely used to that. So I'll, I'll blow that coyote howl push deer away from me, climb down that stand and, and boogie out of there. Um, and then they're just like, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, you know, they're like, ah, you know, I don't see a coyote. I don't hear a coyote. I haven't been bumped by a coyote. 
we're back to uh you know back to feeling okay yeah they're none the wiser at that point yeah and it's it's so much more important um to have have them feel like a coyote or something that they're used to bumping them rather than you know the human intrusion because they can they can figure you know they can figure you out there's just no doubt about it i i totally agree and you know talking about what what you did and or talking about that particular hunt that i killed that buck where we keep going back to in this farm i mean i'm convinced too that the that a big reason that i was able to get that buck that night was the access because you know everybody listened to this wasn't on the hunt they weren't in the tree taryn knows because from the time Taryn dropped me off at the stand, drove five miles down the road, not even five miles, drove two miles down the road and was yeah. and walked into his stand, I texted him and said, I just killed a giant. And he thought I was joking uh-huh. with him. Um, I, I, I was actually hanging my bow up and, and getting situated in the stand when this happened. So that buck was bedded with that doe extremely close. And if I had walked the creek, like you said, the edge... He's bedded in CRP or he's bedded under a cedar. I can't see him, but he's looking through every little fiber of that grass for any signs. Like you said, they are set on survival. And Uh all of a sudden, you know, he sees me. He moves off. I have no idea that he was even there. I sit in the stand and maybe I see a scrapper buck and a few does that night. And And what happened wouldn't have happened had it not been for access. So that is how essential, like when people think about it, I mean, it's changed how I access stands here. There's certain stands I won't go into at certain times. I know Taryn, when he commits to a stand, um, this is this is how hardcore Taryn is. It won't even be the rut or close to the rut, but he'll go into a stand and he'll sit there all day. He'll make an all day sit in mid-October because he's situated between doe bedding areas and he does what he says he doesn't want to domino the whole thing. What he means by that is he doesn't want to climb out, spook deer, get winded, send just the whole nine yards and blow up an area. So he instead will just go in there and hunt and, not, and know that he's probably not going to see a lot of deer the rest of the day. But he's going to sit it out because he doesn't want to educate those deer. So it's, it's, yeah. it's these meticulous approaches that you can take that will change your success in a lot of ways, I believe. I mean, you showed me, and it's it's just been huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have I have several stands that are like that, and you know, obviously, end of October and stuff where it's still a little bit slow. I want to get out, but <laughs> I can't. Um, I've got to use the cover of darkness to to get in and out. So I'm I'm in for the duration. I've got. And I'll have buddies texting me and they're like, you're still sitting? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting out. I can't. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in a good spot. And, you know, that's when I start taking some risk is that, you know, end of October time period. Sure. But, sure. You know, it can be good. It can be good. And it, it can still be slow. Yeah. And I know you're very meticulous about that. So we've covered so much that anybody can do already to this point. I'm going to go ahead and try to squeeze in a few more here that I think are super advantageous. The next one, dude, I want to talk about is this one probably for me personally has changed the game for me drastically. So you know which one it's going to be. Um, And that's adding water. That's, That's putting water on your property, but putting it in the right location. Because a lot of people, when I first started adding ponds, and when I say ponds, people are probably visualizing a swimming pool size pond. I'm talking a 120 gallon pond that I dug into the, Taryn will talk about it, but mm-hmm. I have the Arkansas River slicing through my hunt property, right through the heart of it. I have a canal. So these deer aren't hard up for water. 
but they water at my ponds constantly. My most, I get more trail camera pictures at my ponds. All my pond sites have stands over them. A couple years ago, I killed a five and a half year old buck um, in October, drinking from one of the ponds that I put in. I'll tell you, there's no better reward than that as a white hunter. Seeing something you did, your own labor, and there's a deer drinking at it that you want to shoot. So talk a little bit about the importance of water, where that water is, why deer like to drink out of those water sources. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can talk a little bit about how to create them and stuff like that, but just kind of give the 411 on the water. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Water. I mean, obviously, obviously deer have to have water to survive. Um, and as season progresses too, um, you know, a lot of guys are like, man, early season water ought to be, you know, ought to be killer. And, and it is at times. And so I don't want people to get, you know, putting, putting in a water hole and then get discouraged because, um, the best time to actually hunt water holes is like end of October, early November, the rut time period during, Couldn't you know, those, er, those early stages of season, you know, there's still, you know, so much growth that's happening. Um, there's a lot more dew and stuff like that. Um, they can, whitetails can, they can get a bunch of water just out of the plants and stuff they eat. But then you start to get into that October time where, you know, we're having frost and things are dying and, you know, leaves are more dried up. And so they're, you know, they're needing water more then. And, and I realized, you know, one of the first things a whitetail does after bedding all afternoon is they go straight to water. Well, you know, as I'm sitting in transition areas between bedding and food, as the deer are getting up, they're going away from me first to go to the river to drink. And I'm sitting there going, man, if I could cut, you know, 20 minutes to a half hour off of their time, you know, that's, that's going to give me more shot opportunities. So I started adding water on the way to food. So instead of a deer getting up, walking away from me, a deer gets up and knows that it, it can just head straight to food. Um, and I've got a couple, a couple sets that, you know, I can see, I can see up and down the river for quite a ways. And, and I noticed it happening a lot. It was, you know, half hour, 45 minutes before and deer get up and, and they were headed right to the water. That's the other thing about, about the river too, is deer prefer to drink out of a, out of an area that's not running. Um, and I, I don't know, I would assume it's, you know, sound and stuff like that. Um, and it, it might be something else. I, that I, I can't say for sure, but. I feel like if you can, you know, have a, have a little pond or something like that, that the water's not flowing, um, and in between bed and their feeding areas, you're gonna, you're gonna up your chances of killing that deer. Um, you know, he may, he might not get, get to you until, until after dark, if he's got to go, you know, the opposite way first. So I think that's been huge. And, you know, talk to a lot of guys and they're, they'll be like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really need water. I've got water all over the place. Well, of course you do, but chances of you having water in the, in the place that you actually need it is not very good. So, and that's know, just why, where you, need why it. not put that? <laughs> yeah. Why not put that water exactly where you need it in front of that stand? Exactly. And, and, and if for some of you envisioning this going, oh man, okay. <laughs> so I dig a hole and this is exactly what I do. So I'm just giving my, you dig a hole, 
you know, you kind of map out your pond, right? But you dig a hole and then you can, you've got options. I mean, I've tried Rubbermaid totes from, from like a big R or a Baumgars or something like that. Um, I've also just bought pond liners at Home Depot and tamped them in at the edges and covered them up and created ponds that way. I don't know that it matters. I seem to, for whatever reason, have deer want to drink out of those ponds that are um, more of the tarp style type ponds, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think it matters. I like having them though at, at ground level personally, and then I slope each leading edge going into the pond, and then I really make the edges steep. And the reason I do that is because then I can position the pond knowing where my stand is. So when that deer comes in to drink, again, like we talked about defining travel, I'm defining where I want that deer to drink. Will they always do it? No, but most of the time looking at my trail camper pictures, they come in, Mm -hmm. drink from the slope side where they can get down into that pond, and from the way I position the pond, Boom, that's a broadside shot to that deer. So, you know, going back to what Taryn said earlier, you know, you're sitting in stands and you're planning stuff out. One of the first ponds I put in, I just put it in. And then I hung a tree stand and I I had it set up all wrong. I mean, it cost me a deer because the deer came in and just gave me a full butt shot the entire time and then walked down the trail. So then I was like, you idiot. All you had to do was position the pond the right way. So all of those things have to go into play. Yeah, and you can, you know, you can drop a you can drop a tree too on one side of it so they can't, you know, they can't drink out of it. Um, then another thing too that that people need to uh, need to kind of take into account. And I had a buddy that put in a pond, and he's like, dude, he's like, I thought you said these ponds were gonna be awesome, and I'm like, dude, they are. I'm like, send me send me a picture of you know of, of where this pond is, and it was he he dug it and. And it was, it was in real tight quarters. Um, you know, there was cover all around it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I found if you can open that up just so they, you know, so they can see, cause they'll, you know, they'll drop their head and they'll, they'll take a little drink and then they pop their head right back up and they're looking cause they, they know they're, you know, they're, they're vulnerable, vulnerable right there. Vulnerable sure. out of, yeah. Out sure. Of water tank. So that's the other important part, you know, and if, you know, you maybe some of these guys that are listening are like, man, I've got a water tank and it doesn't work. And now all of a sudden they're like, man, it is, you know, there, there are a bunch of trees right here, a bunch of willows or, you know, something like that. Go ahead and get in there and, and, and cut those willows down. Give those deer a little bit more visual around that water. Yeah. Give them some room. Yep. Yep. And something else I, (laughs) and Taryn didn't tell me this one, but I had to see it in one of his photos and I asked him if your pond is deep enough, I have one that is, you need to put a stick inside of that pond because you'll get a dead, drowned, floating coon, mice, rodents, and then all of a sudden you'll go up to your pond and there's floating field mice and crap in it because they can't get out and your yeah. pond stinks. So I had it happen. Yeah. Taryn told me, you know, hey, man, throw that stick in there. Or I saw it in one of your trail cam pictures. And I was like, why you got the stick in there? And you're like, so anything that falls in there can climb out. I'm like, oh, good call. <laughs> Wish I would have thought of that before I had to clean one out three times. And it's rancid. When you haven't been to your pond in three or four days and you walk over there and there's a big bloated possum or something in there, it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> then you got to clean all that crap out because then the deer, for some reason, weirdly stop using it. It's very strange. Yeah, but I, don't, it's, I don't know why. I don't, ha- know you don't, try, you don't like drinking all that stuff. It happens. Um, it, it does. Something else, dude, that, that, that I want to touch on. Um, talk a little bit about... 
you know, you, you, this is something that you started doing years ago and it's common practice. I'd almost call it now to a degree, but you, the way you do it is just like you do everything else. It's a, there's a little more thought that goes into it. It's a little more than going out and digging a hole and sticking a post in the ground and going, here you go, dear. I hope you rub it. Um, there's a purpose for why you put out your rubbing posts and why you add a scrape to each of those rubbing posts. There's a purpose to how you position them. There's a purpose to the type of wood you select for that rubbing post. There's a purpose mm -hmm. to the branch that you use as the overhanging licking branch. Um, nothing Taryn does is by happen chance, and that's why he's so successful, and that's why he's got the property set up the way he does, and, and why others who have learned from him have been so successful. But talk a little bit about that system of at each of his stand sites, and I mean every one, there is a rubbing post. Every one of them. Yep, every one. There's a rubbing there post, it's yep. so overhanging licking branch that usually by the time I get there has been broken in several pieces. There's a monstrous, you know, he creates a mock scrape. That scrape gets taken over, but just you, you, you tell us a little bit about that system because I love it. Yeah, for sure. It, it is a cool system. And there, there are a lot of people that are like, ah, the, you know, the rub's not needed. And those are, to me, those are the guys that aren't using the correct type of post. Um, and I didn't use the correct type of post for a long time. Um, we kind of, my cousin and I, um, kind of by happen chance, found found a post that worked extremely, extremely well. And I know guys that are like, oh, I just use a landscape timber and they don't hit it that good, but they hit the scrape. Well, there's no reason that I get these posts. Um, you know, I've sent posts back to Colorado with you. Um, and these these posts they're a pine a pine post but they make a difference they aren't, they aren't just any pine post like you know i've had other guys say well i'll just go to tractor supply and get some pine posts they've got they've got pine posts for some reason these pine posts um they come they come out of a pine plantation in georgia the closest place that i can get them is over 200 miles away um i've had a few buddies go out there i had one buddy take a trailer out there and buy 60 of them they that they tells just, you there that w how important they are right there yeah he yeah this this guy had access to some cell cams um of of a cousin of mine and he's like he called him the next day after the first night and he goes dude what are those posts he's like oh they're kind of a kind of a secret and, you know obviously he, he told them you know where we got them and, and within days he had he was there with a the trailer and like i said picked up 60 of them and I've probably sold 250 of them for that, from that place. Um, and they'll, you know, you'll call now and they'll be like, do you need them for fence or are these the ones that the guys come and get for the deer? It's like, yeah, I want the, I want those. <laughs> the deer posts, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, funny. so yeah, they are, they're, they're a special post and, um, and they work, they work awesome. They work better than anything I've ever used. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one buddy that picked up two of them from me and, and then he's like, well, I'll just, I'll just go get some more, you know, a tractor supply. And I'm like, all right, but I'm just going to tell you that they're not going to work. Those, the ones, same. those ones from tractor supply are not going to work the same. And he's like, Oh, yeah. he's like, dude, it's pressure treated pine. I'm like, okay. Right. End of the season, end of the season. He's texting me. He's going, dude, they did not hit those ones, but those ones that I got from you, they absolutely destroyed. Right, and, 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 and you and I have talked about this before. We know everybody, I mean, if you don't know, deer love aromat aromatic woods. They like 
oh, they like that scent of the pine and things like that. They they like scents, um, obviously. So yeah. one thing I started doing before I could get these posts from Taryn, um, mostly because he just didn't have any to give me. I mean, he'd give me the shirt off his back, but he just didn't have any. He'd be like, dude, I need those. I don't have yeah, any more right now. They're yeah, so they're, hard. They're, they're gold. They're tough to get. Right. So yeah. what I did is I just went out. So for somebody listening to this going, well, I can't go to Georgia. I, the, what I went out and did is I just cut some cedars with a chainsaw. Some some wild mm-hmm. cedars. Got permission from rancher. Went out, cut some wild cedars. Um, the key to it for me was that they're circular, not square. You know, a circular sized. You know, so you don't want square posts. Circle seems to work best. And then you know, I just used cedars that I cut, and then I roughed those cedars up after I got them in the ground. And several of those have taken off. But I've also, flip side, I have six of them sitting out out there. Three of them are just getting torched every year. The other three, I don't know that they've ever been touched by a deer. So, yep. I mean, but all of yours get drilled. Um, and this is the first year yeah. I just, you know, you sent me home with one post this year and it's already in. This is the first year I'm really looking forward to using it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but keep yep. on going with the posts and then what, what you're going to do um, next. Yeah. And so, yeah. So then, you know, on top of that, obviously, you know, it's a pretty big circumference. So then, I'll go onto the top of that post and I'll cut a big, um, a big oak branch or whatever in your area that, you know, you feel the deer hit the most. And that to me, that's probably oak or cottonwood here. Um, I use the oak branches just because I feel like they hold up a little bit better. Um, and then I'll take two or three big, like four inch screws and screw those, those big branches. And I'm not, I'm not talking about one little branch that has, you know, one one thing down i want it i want it to be able to be like a car car hood you know so they can move all around that car hood and stuff their face into it (laughs) and 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 get their face up into that branch and put scent put scent all over in that branch Um, right so that that's key too but you know a lot of a lot of guys are like well my mock scrapes were good and mock scrapes do but why not why not put both attractions there Sure. You know. Sure. Put, and you've shot deer. I mean, that you, post too. Yeah. Oh, I've had I've had morning sits. I've had morning sits where I've had ten bucks hit a post. Yes, where he's and, sending me post after post, and I've seen two deer here in my Colorado farm, and he's like buck number fifteen at the post, and I'm like, deleted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know how there there are a lot of guys. I went for a lot of years where I'm I might only see one buck rub you know a willow down on the river sure. during all of season you know that's just not an activity that you get to witness that that much until you put these posts in front of your stand. and it sure is fun and then and all of a sudden deer just i mean just ha- hammering those suckers yeah and, and, and it gives you it gives you all day to get a shot too absolutely because it's not yep it's they're not, not like leaving right that, away yeah it's not something that they're just gonna boom hit it yep. and, and be gone you're looking at, you know, you're looking at a minute messing with, you know, a scrape yep. and, and then, you know, the rub. And so it buys you, it, buy, it buys a guy a lot of time, but. Oh, it, and then, it really does. Yeah. And I, I had sent to, um, so many people are like, oh, you know, it's not needed. And if you're, I mean, if you're looking to, to cut some, some dollars out, don't get sent it, it truly it, it isn't needed you can get by without it because 
you know, that's a, another visual thing. You know, a buck is going to come in and work it and he's going to put his scent on there. The thing that I like with adding scent is then you're adding a foreign buck into there. So, so a buck comes in and, you know, yep. he starts smelling that scent. And Who's I this feel guy? like, yeah, I feel like if you add scent, you get a little more consistent, um, consistent pictures, consistent buck movement through there as, as if you, you know, as if you're just leaving it, leaving it plain for, for all the other local bucks that those bucks already know that, you know, oh, if I go to this scrape, I'm going to smell the, you know, yep. these bucks. Yep. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, in October you introduce four or five different bucks in there. And then another thing I love to do is, is put a bunch of doe and estrus in those. Um, and I, I kind of try to focus on, on areas where I know like my target bucks were in years past. Um, I'll go to like those two best stands. If you know, my number one hit list buck hit the killing tree stand and a uh, pinch, I'm going to those two, you know, about middle of October, kind of right before the does start coming in. And I'm, I'm adding doe and estrus in those big time. And, and that just fires them scrapes up and, and makes those bus, bucks hit them that much more. God, I love that. I love so, that. So, I mean, like I said, don't yeah. feel like you have to use scent because it's still going to work and it's still going to work really good. But, you know, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to add in a, add in a new buck. And I, there've been a few times too, where I've got a farm in Kansas and a farm in Nebraska and I'll grab I'll grab a licking branch from Kansas and take that licking branch up and put it on, on one of those posts. And then you're introducing, you know, a ton of new scent that, that those bucks aren't used to. Yep. I remember you telling me about that and something else. When you put those posts in the ground, guys, get them in there, tamp those suckers down. You don't have to quick read them or anything, but you need to get them in there because these bucks work them over. I mean, you're talking, you know, mm -hmm. 300 plus pound buck, full of anger and rage and just a bodybuilder out there just ramming into that post. I mean, they take a beating. So don't think you're going to go out there and scratch the surface. And, you know, that sucker needs to be in there as good as you can get it. That way it's there for years because there'll be a signing post for years. It's not like you have to pull that out and replace it every year. No, after, after three or four years, uh, you can pull, you can pull them out and, and uh, have your buck mounted on them. I've got, yes. I've got a buck buck mounted on a pedestal yes you do on, on one of them great buck oh, that's too kind of cool too well i knew this was going to happen <laughs> i knew taryn and i were, were going to talk and get all this information in and come in and when it's getting close to time to closing this thing up so here's what i'm going to tell everybody we're not there yet but the food portion and there, there's we haven't even scratched the surface and i knew we wouldn't but i'm, I'm okay with not talking about food today because i wanted people to see what any person can do, any deer hunter can take any deer hunter, whether you have 40 acres or 4,000 acres, you can take these tips that Taryn gave today, you can implement them. And I am a living testament to the fact of how well they will work. It will change your whitetail hunting. I mean, where I live in Colorado, my deer ratio population wise is not near what Taryn's is. But I used to go from a good day, like I'm talking dawn to dark sit on my property during the rut was if I saw two or three does and you know maybe saw a buck or saw you know it was really 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 rare it was just bad. <laughs> 
Now I'm discouraged if I sit dawn to dark and don't see 10 deer total and three or four of those be bucks. That's a drastic change. So it's up my success. It's boosted things a lot. Um, and I'm going to let Taryn talk a little bit here in a minute when we close out about something that you are going to want to be a part of. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly. I, I would not tell somebody something that I didn't believe with my heart to be true. So that's coming up. But first, I'm going to put Taryn on the spot. One of the things I like to do on this podcast, everybody, um, I learned it from a buddy of mine, Clint Casper. I like this rapid fire sequence of questions. So T, I'm going to pop you with some questions. You've got about a minute to a minute and a half on each of them. And right. some of them are going to be pretty tough for you to answer. Uh, just because I'm going to make you choose. Um, all right. So question question number one. Of all of your whitetail tips and tactics that you do every year, and I'm not ta- talking so much when you're on the hunt, but all of your management tips and tactics, all of them got taken away from you. And you could have one. What are you going to do? I'm going to focus on cover, um, whether it be a public land guy or, you know, a guy that's building properties, focus on cover, whitetails, whitetails got to have cover. And, and that's where you're going to find your biggest deer every year is, is in that thick cover. Beautiful. Love it. Okay. To call or not to call. That is the question. What's your answer? I hardly ever call unless, <laughs> and it drives unless, me crazy <laughs> unless I unless I see a buck that I want to kill. Yeah. Um I don't I don't necessarily like hitting a grunt tube and having two or three um two or three year and a half old bucks come in because if you give, you know, if you're not going to shoot those bucks, they're going to figure you out because they're going to stick around there and go downwind of you and then they're going to end up blowing. They're going to, you know, they're going to blow your cover. So I feel like if I sit in a tree stand long enough, I'm going to get a visual on a buck that I want to shoot, and that's when I'm going to call. I'm going to call to that buck and that buck only because I don't want I don't want three or four year and a half old bucks coming in throughout the day going, yeah. oh, he's right here. I figured him out. I yeah, you but, don't yeah. you don't want it. I agree. You don't want the I may, might, but then we know what's going to happen is Jason's going to shoot one and Taryn's going to get pissed. Um <laughs> That's so, right. <laughs> so, so now, p- guys and gals listening to this, this guy has—he's pulling the plug on me on four and a half year old deer. He says now I got to go five and a half or older, and I just don't know if you. For those of you that don't know me and haven't read my writing and haven't seen the animals that I've killed, this is going to be a tall task for someone who will fall apart and get super excited when a three and a half year old buck comes in. Now Taryn's <laughs> taken away a, a full age class that is that is kind of off the table unless it's a freak or a junker or something like that. <clears throat> but uh, that's okay. That's that's that, that's definitely understandable. It doesn't want those deer coming in. All right, um, another quick question for you. This year, yes. I know you have two target bucks. Um, specifically, you, you may have more, but you have two target bucks that you have a lot of history with one Rico and one is Jenner and Rico, in my opinion is gross boom. I'm going to call it right now. Taryn probably is going to say he's going to go short because Taryn's a pessimist sometimes when it comes to size. This deer's gross boom. He's a giant. He's going to be 168, 169. And he's probably going to be, I've lost bets on this. I've lost bets on this. Um, and another buck called Jenner that's just, what is he, seven now? Is Jenner seven? Yeah, Jenner, Jenner's a seven and a half year old buck that 
that got. I think uh, Jason got really, really, really Throw brother a <laughs> bone. Jenner got really. Jenner was a stud at four and a half, and I let him yep, walk. You did, and thinking he was going to blow. Ec- yeah, he got extremely sick that winter. Lost a ton, a ton of weight, mm-hmm. and he is he has been a junk buck. I passed him again at five and a half. Um, last year at six and a half, I had one very small window to get him killed, and I could not get him killed. Yep. Um, and then this year he's he's kind of put on some inches again, and he's. He's somewhat he's somewhat impressive. He's good looking deer, but it it didn't matter if he scored you know 108 inches this year at seven it's and a half. Time he's, to get him. He's 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 in trouble. <laughs> so here's my here's my my question. So the two hit list bucks. You got two tags in Nebraska. When prediction? I want the date each of those deer are going to hit the dirt. Oh. <laughs> Don't worry. This is the last rapid fire question. <laughs> But you got to ask. I mean, um, I want to know. I've got my predictions. Oh, please, God, I let one of them be while I'm there. See, that's a no. That, that <laughs> so you're that long that, pause, everybody. <laughs> that could happen, but we're just gonna go with we're gonna go with Rico's getting shot on November 9th because I've killed my two biggest deer on the ninth. So, that's fair odds. So we're gonna go. But I feel like with my setups and everything this year, and if he does what he did last year, which he will. Um, I could kill him around that third or fourth. Then I would if be there. Got, I would be there if we've got if we've got the right weather. I'll, yeah, I'll if we get the weather, we had yeah, we we need the weather for sure. Yeah. But that's absolutely um, man, stud. And bucks. Jenner, Jenner, I might take a few chances on him early season. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't we talked been, about that. Hasn't been, yeah, he hasn't been super super consistent, but kind of where he's staying on kind of a fringe farm. Um. I may I may put a little pressure on him early season. So let's go with uh let's go with October twenty first on him. October what? Twenty first. Okay. I like October. So I do, so I'm gonna do th- not do not write this down and, and let's forget <laughs> and let's forget about it because none of this has happened. I have it but in a I podcast. Am- I did I can go back to the recording. Don't worry, I'm gonna throw you my two dates on these two okay. deer. And Taryn's gonna right. go, that's a terrible idea, because Taryn knows I'm full of terrible ideas. All right. I'm going to say I'm going to say I'm going to say Jenner first, and I'm going to say Jenner. I'm going to go the 19th of October. Okay. I'm going to say I like it. I'm going to say October 19th. Rico, I'm going to say October 31st. I'm going to say Halloween buck. He's a Halloween buck. I will be there. I think you're going to kill two giants in October, and then you're just going to coast all of November. That's my prediction. It will be wrong. Taryn will be right, and I guarantee you Rico will score 168 or 169, but that's okay. We know he's a great deer. He's a great deer. Freak deer. I can't. I can't coast all of November. I've, I've got to come kill mule deer. That's right. That's you. right. He's coming to hunt Colorado mule deer with me. So that is perfect. But then if you had them both done in October, you could just, man, you could just chill till late November because, you know, the mule deer ruts a little later here. So that's going to be, that's right. that's it's going right. to be excellent. Don't but, forget, uh, don't, don't forget, I, can't, I got a Kansas tag in my pocket. Oh my gosh. Now. Taryn's got a busy. That's probably, that's probably uh, going to be that October 19th buck. That could be. And he's got a giant there, too. I mean, Ter- Taryn's on the setup to have a monstrous year. And and I promise everybody we're going to get him back on here because I want to do a postseason follow-up with, with, with both of our – because I'll be out there hunting whitetails. Taryn will be here hunting mule deer. Uh, it's just what we do. Um, like I said, great friends, just awesome to get to know him. And so, Taryn, I want to take just the end here and let's talk a little bit about, I want you to tell people, one, where they can find you. Um, 
so your social stuff, and then let's yep. close this out talking to them about a program that once this podcast airs that is now out and available. Oh, 100%. And yeah, the, the social media is just whitetail underscore Yoda. And who, who, who and gave I'm, you that name, Taryn? Jace, my buddy Jace. <laughs> I want some the, credit. The one, with the, the one with the terrible <laughs> I idea. Did. I had one good one in my life. It's, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. So Whitetail Yoda on Instagram, and that is the best way. Um, you know, drop him a line, drop him questions. He it, he's going to have an answer, and it's not going to be an answer that's like he's going to make up. Like this, he he's dedicated a large portion of his life to this species of deer, and he, like I said, he's the greatest whitetail mind that I know. Um, I'll stack his knowledge up against anybody's. I don't call anybody else for whitetail stuff for the most part. Um, I might bounce some ideas off somebody, but if I want to know something, how I should do something, what I did wrong, I'm talking to T. Um, Taryn, now talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about this program because this could be a this could be a big hitter for you. I think it's going to be. Um, but uh, tell tell them a little bit about that. You bet. So so I am I'm going to be in December launching a web class, the Whitetail Yoda web class and uh i'm i'm extremely excited about it um you know it's a it's obviously a, a content driven industry um there's content everywhere but i feel like uh the the content that we're going to bring to the table through this web class of you know designing properties and tips and tactics is going to help you know it's going to help everybody even you know the public land hunter to you know some guy that's you know drew a kansas tag from pennsylvania he's going to kansas and he's going to scout and there are going to be things in this web class that uh that i feel like you're not going to find just you know with a youtube search or you know anywhere else um i've I, i'm pouring my heart and soul into this um yeah i've got some i've got some great help um you're you're you know you're helping me with the written written yeah. portion of it and uh excited with that and then i was lucky enough my my cousin kyle he uh he filmed and produced for for a tv show on the outdoor channel for like six years and he's doing all the filming and stuff for me so we're putting together you know what i think is is a is a really really good class um i'm not 100 percent sure what we're going to do on price yet it's going to be it's going to be very reasonable it's going to be probably cheaper than than most cameras than most gear um to me it's not about it's not about making a bunch of money um it's it's just helping helping guys that you know that don't get to do this all the time yeah that, that don't get to spend you know the hours and hours out in the field learning it they're you know they're just they're just doing stuff on the weekends and um you know i've been lucky enough to to get to spend a lot, a lot of years and have met a lot, a lot of people, um, with knowledge that I've been able to, you know, gain from them and then, you know, put my own twist on things. And so, like I said, don't people, I don't want people to feel like, well, I don't own any property. This web class isn't for me when, you know, truly, you know, when we're talking about betting and stuff like that, there's going to be stuff that, that, you're going to pick up in this web class that you can go to a public spot and go, okay, you know, I learned that thousand you know, percent buck, bucks like, you know, bucks like this, um, you know, I can set up here. And so that's the other, 
the other important yeah, part. Yeah, just, just learning to read terrain everybody. can kill big deer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's for everybody. And like I said, there's there's going to be, we're still, you know, we're still in the building stages, but um, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really cool. I've, like I said, I've, I've, I've stayed up a lot of nights late, you know, thinking of, you know, how this is all going to come together. And we're going to use a lot of different aerial features from hunt stand and stuff to, you know, describe this. It's not, it's not just going to be some, you know, fly by night oh, deal a lot yeah, when it yeah, is not, you know i've been in yeah, the background on this thing and you know taryn sparked this idea even before turkey season we spent most of our turkey season this year because it was freaking freezing sitting in a ground blind in early march or mid excuse me late march um you know he dictate to me and i take notes and so we're gonna what, what he's gonna offer is is something that i feel like is not out there <laughs> because of yeah. how deeply you think on some of this stuff you know it's not just mm-hmm. oh you own it oh plant food here plant it it's all the stuff we talked about in today's podcast i wouldn't even it's not even the tip of the iceberg i mean this thing's deep yeah, not i mean at all. It's, this thing is yep. deep i mean we talked about you know when we talked about native grasses today for instance i mean there's going to be a whole section <laughs> of this web class yep. dedicated to native grasses, their importance, how just the management of it. Uh, uh, entire sections about, you know, Taryn's a big time tree planter. We didn't even touch on, you know, the efforts he goes through to put in cedars and, and, and enhance bedding, you know. There's just so many things that are gonna be in here that anybody can use, and that's the key. Uh, it's not just for the super rich. It's not for the guy that owns Iowa Paradise or, you know, any Midwestern, paradise this is something i'm implementing the program here in colorado my results have been stellar so you know it's one of those things you know yeah you guys gonna have to pay for it because of all the work you're putting into it and the amount of money you're spending i mean i'm telling him he needs to charge more because i'm thinking man dude you're gonna break even on this deal but he really (laughs) he really wants to help he wants to see people be successful he does he wants to see people fall in love with whitetails he's changed you know, seeing me when I first went out there to where he would tell me, like, I have history with this buck, and it would piss me off. And I've wrote about this. I've said this. I'm like, what the hell do you mean you have history with this buck? Who gives a crap? Shoot him, you know? And not that I was disres- had any disrespect towards the deer. I just didn't get it. I didn't get the management. I didn't get the growing. I didn't get you know, seeing that deer mature through summer months, picking up his sheds, passing him when I could have taken him. I mean, there's so much that goes into this to, to kill the type of deer that a lot of people want to kill and the type of deer that Taryn wants to kill and, and does kill. So check out the program, check out the class. Um, you know, we'll have information on born hunting once it launches, but uh, reach in and also, you know, it'll be on Instagram. That's, you know, his white tail Yoda um, going to be awesome. T, thanks for taking the time to come on today, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It was fun. Absolutely. Well, everybody, until next time, stay humble, stay hungry. Thanks for taking the time to tune into the Born Hunting Podcast. We'll catch you next week with another exciting episode.